0: Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message.
1: We are continuing today in a series called Heal Our Land. This is uh, Revival Month, of course. Revival Conference is coming up, and Revival Month is a regular part of the rhythm of our church because we're wanting to be a church that carries a spirit of revival. We're wanting to be a community of people that uh, long for revival, that expect revival, that pray for revival, that when revival comes, can steward revival. Uh, we're gonna uh, start with the theme verse uh, of this series. It's Second Chronicles 7. This is, of course, the passage that, um, is God's response to King Solomon uh, after he prayed this prayer of dedication of the temple and the weight of God's glory came, his presence came. uh, The the people that were there at the temple, they fall on their faces on the pavement. They can't even stand on their feet. And they just keep saying over and over, he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. That was all they could muster. They just keep saying that over and over in worship to God. And later that evening, Solomon comes to, sorry, God comes to Solomon and gives him this word. And he was speaking about a time in the future when the people of God will not be as faithful as they were at this time when he was speaking. And verse 13, 2 Chronicles 7 says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, If my people, that's us, who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. This is part two of our three-part series, or I guess if we count Pastor Steve's message last week, really four-part series. Uh, This is... uh, the the, the the second part of this three part series that I'm preaching and we're going to focus in on our hunger. So God says to Solomon. There's three things if you want the land to be healed. I'm going to need your humility. You got to humble yourselves. I'm going to need your hunger. You got to pray and seek my face. I'm going to need your holiness. You got to turn from your wicked ways. We'll talk about that one in a couple of weeks, but this week we're going to focus in on hunger. So Title of this message, How Our Hunger Attracts the Power of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence. You've been with us in worship, and I thank you that you are here to reveal yourself. Father, we will confess to you that what we see and understand of you is too small. Father, you are bigger. You are more powerful. You're greater than what we know. God, we can't even know you apart from revelation knowledge. And Lord, I'm asking in this moment that you would bring revelation knowledge. Holy Spirit, would you reveal yourself powerfully to us? Father, would you speak in a way that would not just help us see your bigness, that, that you would provoke in us a greater hunger than we've ever had in our lives? Father, we have a tendency, Lord, because of the, our flesh and the world around us and, and our enemy who tempts us to be distracted by so many things, and we confess, Lord, our our distraction. We confess, Lord, uh, because what we see of you is too small, Lord, we've been probably apathetic in some areas. We've been too passive in our pursuit of you. Lord, we probably haven't had the hope and the vision for the coming of your kingdom like we should. And so, Father, I'm asking today that you would reveal yourself, you would speak in a way that would cause us to hunger more for you. Can I just invite you, just even as I'm praying, just to begin to talk to the Father. Just say, Lord, increase my hunger. Bring a grace that would help me to hunger more for you. Lord, let us hunger for your presence. Let us hunger for revelation from your word. Father, let us have that recognition of how desperately we need you, but let us go from need to desire. Lord, let us desire you more than anything else, more than anyone else. Would you become our chief desire? Whatever you need to shift in our hearts, whatever you need to rearrange, Lord, we invite you today to do
2: that. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an interesting phrase, um, heal
1: their land. We don't often think of land needing to be healed. Something that needs to be healed is something that's sick. And we normally think of a physical body being sick, but we normally don't think of land being sick but it's a phrase that helps us to understand that just as a physical body can be sick so can a land area so can this the the, the area the, the, the place within which the borders within which a people reside and those that govern over it can lead to a land being uh, sick but scripture uses a different word it doesn't use um, sick or diseased, it uses a word defiled. Scripture often speaks of land, uh, being defiled. Leviticus 18, uh, God warns the Israelites against committing the detestable practices of the nations that surrounded them and worshiping, uh, them, uh, worshiping the gods of those nations, which leads to these detestable practices, saying that if you do these things, then the land will be defiled to the point that it vomits you out. It vomit, a defiled land will vomit out its inhabitants. Numbers 35 speaks of how the Lord commands the Israelites not to pollute the land by taking the lives of the innocent. There's a polluting of the land that happens. In Jeremiah 3, we see the prophet speaks of of Israel's idolatry and unfaithfulness to God, primarily through the worship of these other gods, uh, Baal and, and Ishtar and Molech, and committing those detest, detestable practices. And in their worship of these false gods, likening it to prostitution, adultery, that defiles the land. Plenty more references that I could share, but the point is, is that spiritual sickness of a people leads to a defiling of a land area. when people reject God it affects the the spiritual dynamics of the place where those people live And what happens is is life becomes more difficult and more painful for the the, the inhabitants of that particular area And so in the second chronicles verse we see God is referring to the specific impact of the defiling of the land He said, that there will be little or no rain. When there's no rain, uh, and in other words, cop, crops can't grow, uh, when, uh, and people will lack fresh water, when there are locusts or other influences that affect the harvest, that affect uh, the economic situation, when there is uh, pestilence, or we could say pandemic that breaks out amongst people. These are all elements of, uh, and the, re- the result of a land being defiled. And it is the the rejection of God that opens the door for bad things to begin to happen in a society. Uh, Another way to say it is that we desperately need God and his blessing to live uh, in a sustained place of prosperity as a people. And because we desperately need God in a time when the land is becoming increasingly more defiled, We desperately need spiritual revival that is the only catalyst for the healing of the land we can clearly look uh, back through history when we look at revivals that have that have happened in time there have the, the result of that has not just been people being saved as disciples are made as the church is strengthened as people come into their calling Culture begins to be influenced and the land begins to be healed as the people of God take their rightful place in leadership in culture and begin to allow the grace of God and the favor of God and the laws of God to become the laws of the land. I forget who it was, but somebody said uh, is one of the early founders in the United States said that we will either be ruled by the Ten Commandments or by Ten Thousand Commandments. We need the Ten Commandments. We the, the the law of God of God is good and beautiful and wonderful, and, and and gives us insight and understanding in how to align a culture and a civilization uh, around that which pleases God, so that the land will not be defiled. It may seem like a very dark moment in our history, but we cannot give up hope for our nation and for. The world. History shows us that we will win and we have won at times in the past. We know from scripture that we will win in the end. But when we see times when the Holy Spirit is poured out, revival comes, culture begins to be transformed. But what's, but, but we can actually look around at the darkness and the chaos and have reason for encouragement because it's always been in dark times and amidst dark circumstances that revival has come. All right, we look back, you think about Pentecost came amidst great darkness. The, the nation of Israel was uh, under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. Things were not so good at that time. Martin Luther helped to bring revival in the 1500s amidst great darkness in the church. You've got priests that were selling indulgences so you can go live however you want to live and not, uh, and, and still be forgiven by God. God, forgive me for the sin I'm about to commit. The Moravian church in the 1700s experienced a powerful revival, but it was only after fleeing extreme persecution from the Catholic church in their homeland. Not many years later, because of the foundation that was laid by the Moravian church, you've got God pouring out his spirit upon Jonathan Edwards and and, and, and the churches and in his ministry and John Wesley and George Whitfield in the UK and then also in the States. But that came amidst a time when at best, most people were deists. They believed that there was a God, but he was far, far away. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't want anything to do with us. We can just live however we want to live. And it doesn't really matter. And so the result of that was extreme sexual immorality and gambling and drunkenness, not unlike life in Australia today. Revivals in Korea in the early 1900s came at a time when the Japanese had taken over Korea and were being oppressed. Uh, the Korean people were being very oppressed at that time. Uh, in 1953, when communism took hold in China, all the Christian missionaries were deported. Everybody thought China is done. There'll be no faith left in China. And when the doors opened back up, uh, missionaries went in and found massive movement of underground church and revival happening amidst the darkness and the chaos so we can be encouraged it doesn't matter how how dark things get we tend in our flesh and in our unbelief and and in hopelessness to look at the culture and say oh well it's all going to hell anyway why polish brass on a sinking ship why why try to make anything better uh we we look at the circumstances but when we look through history it was
2: dark times that preceded revival As God's people begin to humble themselves, pray and seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, things
1: begin to happen. These are the things that precede revival, and it's the hunger of God's people in a desire for God, in a desire for the outpouring of his spirit that moves God to act. God says in this passage we just read, what we're focusing on today, pray and seek my face. Pray and seek my face. He really says one thing, pray and seek my face, but he's actually saying two things. He could have just said pray. He could have just said pray. He could have just said seek my face, but he said pray and seek my face. The call to seek his face is a call to intimacy. And so we could say this, that spiritually hungry people desire relationship with Jesus, not just gifts from Jesus. What does it look like to be a people that attract revival and attract the power of God? It's a people who desire Jesus, not just what we can get from him. And so like David in Psalm 28, we've got to respond to this call to intimacy. This was his prayer. You said, Father, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. He doesn't say seek my rewards. He doesn't say seek my benefits, of course, we're grateful for his benefits. We remember them. They're wonderful. We'll give him thanks for them. But our primary pursuit is not the benefits and good things that he brings us. It's him. Our heart says, your face, O oh Lord, I will seek. And so the, the, the very language that God uses here communicates that he desires intimacy and close relationship with us. The gaze of intimacy is
2: always a gaze into the eyes. If I go out on a date night with my wife, if I'm distracted, if I'm people watching, if I'm checking
1: my phone, if I'm looking to around, what is that going to communicate? It's not going to communicate a whole lot of intimacy. But what communicates intimacy when I'm engaged? If I'm looking at her in the eyes, I'm listening, I'm... Responding and and there's a recognition that I'm I'm not daydreaming, but I'm I'm here. We're engaged. I'm a part of this conversation. I'm even willing to share the deep things of my soul, and she's sharing the deep things of her soul. I'm being vulnerable. I'm being transparent, honest. I'm letting her. And these are all the the things that happen as we 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 you know the scripture s- speaks of uh, the, the eyes. It's like the 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 windows of the soul. It's like we can see into. Uh, the, 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 the person through the eyes. It's like when, when you look somebody you notice when somebody's got something to hide, it's like, you know, they always look away. You know, there's, there's something about being able to, you know, of having a clear conscience, we're able to look someone in the eyes. There's something about confidence and a desire for intimacy where we, we look another into the eyes. And so intimacy
2: assumes a full attention and deep affection. Some of us may struggle. To relate to God in this way
1: it can be difficult regard you know depending on what our experience has been like with other people and circumstances that that are meant to reflect for us what God the Father is like but this is something that on the journey of walking with him and and seeking his face he begins to heal these things he he shifts things inside of us and and makes us capable of relating to God in deep
2: intimacy. But he wants for us to make him the reward. Humility is good. A
1: recognition of our need for God is good. But what's even better than recognizing that we need God is actually desiring him. That's a different relationship. We can, we can have a sense of our need for God and still uh, come to him in a way that doesn't quite get us to the point of intimacy. In, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus refers to uh, God as Father first before he says, you know, to pray the prayer of, of, of daily bread and meeting the practical needs. Because the starting point of relationship is intimacy. It's good to ask him for things. It's good to come to him as the one that we need. But he reveals himself to us not as a genie, not as Santa, not as uh, the big guy in the sky, not as the universe, but as a father, one who can be intimately, personally known, whose voice we can hear, who listens for our voice. AWW w. Tozer said this, the man who has
2: God for his treasure has all things in one. I love that.
1: But the truth is, we'd all agree there's lots of distractions in our lives and there's a lot that wars against our devotion to Jesus. It can be challenging to keep this up and you think, where does the power come from to consistently live this way. It's it's a process. I don't know know about you, but do you go through seasons where it feels like, man, I'm really drawing near in intimacy with God? And then you go through other seasons and you think, why does God God not seem as close or as near? And it's almost like he's trying to provoke something to, to cause me to press in even more and to pursue him, almost like this kind of divine game of hide and go seek, you know, where like he's, He's wanting me to chase after him. He's wanting me to
2: pursue him. But the reality is, is that we, when I think about, let me say it this way, when I think about when I was a little kid and I would play hide and go
1: seek, or actually I would do this with my kids. We'd play hide and go seek in the house and they were really little. And they'd be so little that you would have to like Give them a little hint, you know. Of, you know, make some kind of noise, and then we got to the point in playing hide and go seek where the little ones would be like, "Make a noise, you know, make a noise," <laughs> and 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 I think it's a little bit like that with God, you know. There's this sense of where He's wanting us to pursue Him, and and it, it's virtually, and I would say, impossible for us to in our own strength, remove this separation that's between us, we need him to make a noise. And he does that. He he begins to, to draw us, and he begins to woo us. And it's only through his grace and influence in wooing and drawing us that we can have this type of intimacy and relationship with him. Again, here's another Tozer quote for you. We pursue God because and only because he has first put an urgent and passionate desire within us.
2: Do you have that desire? Do you have that desire in you? This is biblical. Verse John 4, we love because he first loved us. It's it's a revelation of his love
1: for us that provokes us to love him more. How about this John 6? Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. The very desire and ability to seek God is something that's granted to us by God himself. One more quote for you, Andrew Murray, abiding in Christ is not a work that we have to do as the condition for enjoying his salvation, but a consenting to let him do all for us and in us and through us. It is a work he does for us, the fruit and the power of his redeeming love. And so there's a sense that really in our desire for him and our pursuit of him, one of the greatest and most wonderful prayers that we can pray is, Father, will you help me to desire you more? Will you make a noise?
2: Will you show me where you're at and reveal yourself a little bit more that would draw me and woo me more into closeness with you? Maybe take a moment now and just pray and ask him for that. Lord, make a noise. Speak. Show me where you're at. Spiritually hungry people, not only devoted to Jesus,
1: but fully devoted to the coming of God's kingdom. In Mark 8, we see Jesus speak of the call to be a disciple. If you want to come after me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And then he says, This, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, this is interesting here, for my sake, he could have just stopped there. And for the gospels will save it. I don't know if you realize this, but when Jesus called you to follow him, he didn't just ask you to devote yourself fully to him, he's asked you to devote yourself fully to the gospel to the coming of the kingdom that what he's passionate about would become as in our intimacy with him would become what we also are passionate about he invites us to lose our lives not only in him but in his purpose in the healing of the land in the coming of the kingdom that was the result of the early church loving Jesus deeply They loved the city. They loved the community where they were planted. They loved the people that were around them. They they cared about their spiritual destinies and what was going to happen to them after their lives ended. And so Jesus told his followers to pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was what the prayer was supposed to be. In other words, I want you to desire what I desire. We're not gonna pray for something that we don't desire. And so what Jesus tells us to pray for is a good indication of what we should desire, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The New Testament language for the healing of the land is the coming of the kingdom of God. Those two things are one of the same. In other words, unfortunately, uh, many Christians have given up on the idea Of the coming of the kingdom it's all about just whisk me away and take me out of here I don't want you to heal the land God I just want you to take me out of the defiled land but that's not that that's not what Jesus said to pray pray that the kingdom of God would come that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven that the defiled land would be healed why would he say that he would come and heal our land and give us the way that the land would be healed if there wasn't a path for the land to be healed So the gospel has to come to not just affect our emotions, but it has to come and affect our desires and our ambitions and our
2: purpose. Why we exist. There's probably nothing that impacts our
1: desire to engage in corporate prayer more than uh, this kind of commitment to the gospel and desire for the growth of God's kingdom. It's no wonder that... um, we're not really feeling too compelled to come along to a corporate prayer gathering. Because, and I'm not judging anyone, but let's just be honest, there's a lack of desire in our hearts for the coming of the kingdom of God. Either that or we don't believe it's possible. Maybe we've bought into the lie that there's really nothing that can be done for our world anyway. But when we have this conviction of what God can and will do on the other side of our faithful prayer, then we're going to show up to pray. It's our devotion and love for Jesus that that brings us together, uh, brings us into our secret place to pursue him. But it's our desire to see the kingdom of God come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven that brings us into the corporate prayer gathering, to cry out to him, to pray and corporately seek his face that he would heal our land. And so this brings us to our third point. Spiritually hungry people pray fervently for revival. It's the earnest or fervent prayer of a righteous person that has great power power and produces wonderful results. And so our spiritual hunger is going to be reflected in our yearning uh, and prayer to see the land healed. And it's this type of prayer that has great power. It's not Passive prayer, it's not apathetic prayer. It's the fervent prayer that moves God. It's the prayer that's rooted uh, and grounded in strong desire to see God move. And so if we're not praying as we should, it's only because we don't desire as we should. Prayer fuels power, but desire fuels prayer. We have that saying around here, that's one of our kingdom culture values, prayer fuels power. It's true, power flows out of prayer, but prayer flows out of desire. Lord, increase our desire. And so there can be no revival until the people of God are so desperate for revival, so desperate for the healing of the land that they pray. It's God's desire that we would hunger for an outpouring of his Holy Spirit in our city and in the nation, he wants us to long for that. He wants us to hunger for that. You know, Numa Church was birthed out of revival, but that revival was birthed out of a seven-year prayer meeting from 19 as an eight-year prayer meeting, 1917 to 1925. This man, C. L. Greenwood, who became the first or became the 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 one who planted and and led. Uh, What's now Numa Church, which at the time was Richmond Temple, he started a prayer meeting in his home in Sunshine, one of the western suburbs of Melbourne. The Holy Spirit, after seven years of prayer faithfully, they're showing up every week. It was a weekly prayer, Thursday night, then it became Thursday night, Friday night, then it became Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, then it became Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, night, Sunday night, and then after seven years, they're like, I think we're a church. The Holy Spirit's poured out, and... And all these people are getting saved. Richmond Temple and the whole history. And really this this church was birthed that became the beginning of the ACC and the Pentecostal movement in Australia. But what did it come out of? A seven-year prayer meeting. The Moravian Church in the 1700s became one of the most powerful mission-sending ministries, churches on the planet. The Great Awakening of the 1700s, John Wesley... Uh, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, all of this came out of the Moravian Church's ministry. In fact, John Wesley was an Anglican minister born again on a boat on the way over as a missionary to the United States, led to Christ by a Moravian missionary on the same boat. But the the power that that came out of the Moravian Church came out of a prayer meeting that began one night when the Holy Spirit was poured out that, that led to 24 hours a day, seven days of week prayer. They would have a team of people on one hour shifts that would pray throughout the night, walking, praying together in twos, praying throughout the night. This prayer meeting lasted for 100 years, 24 seven prayer, which these great awakenings that happened in England and the United States is really what we can give thanks to God for and give credit for, for the prosperity and the blessing that we've experienced in the Western world. It's all come about, uh, from the influence of the gospel out of these revivals in the 1700s and then more in the 1800s. Revival began in Scotland in the mid 1900s when these two old sisters in their 80s, Peggy and Christine Smith, they prayed together daily in their home they were unable to visit the church because of their health but they would pray daily in their home they'd go up the street in their mind in their village and pray for every single family just praying together as sisters at the same time in the same village there were seven young men uh, that were meeting three times a week in a barn to pray and they they uh, prayed faithfully agreed together that they would continue praying three times a week together until revival came to their city, their village. And one night after many months of prayer, these men said that the barn that they were meeting in was filled with the glory of God and they fell on their faces on the ground in response to this awareness of God's presence. And at the exact same moment, the story goes that Peggy Smith had this vision of the churches in that area crowded with people and hundreds of people being swept into the kingdom of God. And so that same week revival began in response the prayers of God's people. At that time, in these revivals in Scotland, people would come in from from around and they would just get into the village and they would feel this weight of God's presence. Like just this saturation with God's presence in the area. We have to push through the fleshly temptation to be passive, to be apathetic. We've gotta break free from the distraction that's so easy to fall into in our culture and be a people who will commit to gather together corporately to lift our voices in prayer. I wanna share uh, another quote with you. This one's gonna be a little bit challenging, but I want us to feel the weight of it and the calling upon us to pray. This is James Burns. He was a pastor in the early 1900s. This was during the revivals that began in Wales. And here's what he says about revival. He says, revivals are not usually preceded by the awakening of the church to a sense of need. In other words, humility. But by the awakening of devout souls here and there who feeling the need begin to entreat God in prayer for revival. Gradually, this deepens and spreads until the sense of need becomes a burden. Until the cry, how long, O oh God, how long, becomes an agony. Can you hear the, the language of strong desire? There's no apathy or passivity there. This is the cry which God cannot deny. It is for that cry that we must intently listen. Is there then today a disposition to pray for a revival?
2: If not, then a deeper darkness still awaits us of what use would a revival be if we're not prepared for it? It would pass over us without doing its work. Can we we hear that? This is rooted in
1: biblical truth. Before the healing of the land comes, before the darkness over the land is lifted, before God will turn the tide on the downward spiral of depravity in the culture into darker and darker realms, The people of God must humble themselves good start but pray and seek his face God will allow a deeper darkness to come until a hunger stirs in the people of God for revival do we long for revival in this way let's not wait for a deeper darkness to have to come can we supernaturally in this moment grow in that desire that recognition Maybe have the worship team come,
2: which is basically Olivia Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) The healing of the land is completely dependent upon our spiritual hunger. If we are
1: hungry, then we will pray fervently. If we pray fervently, then revival will come given enough time. Given that groundswell and critical mass of the people of God, praying and seeking his face. And so what I feel the Lord wants to do in this moment is we just have a, have a time to respond to this word and, and turn our hearts towards him and worship. Can we invite him to increase a desire for him in our hearts? Lord, would you make a noise? Lord, would you draw us into a deeper intimacy with you? Lord, would you cause us to hunger for revival. Father, let us go from a sense of need. God, we see the world around us. We we need you to break through. We acknowledge that. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. We need you. Oh, but Father, would you let it become a burden? Can you just invite the holy spirit right now to come into your heart and pray this prayer maybe count the cost before you pray it lord give me that burden for revival a church that carries a spirit of revival to disciple cities and nations is a church that has a burden For an outpouring of the holy spirit so father we ask you for that burden would you give us the burden that you have lord for our city and for our nation father i'm asking that you would come in such power upon us that we would agonize in prayer thank
0: you for joining us for this message today